This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Uh, right, let's... Um, I just want to start in, in prayer and just commend this time um, to the Lord. Father, Father God, Father, Lord Jesus, Lord, I just invite you to, to be with us now. And as we look at this passage from Luke, I just pray that you would open it up to us and that you would speak to each of us, Lord. Lord, I do believe you've got a word for each of us in this passage. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit will shine his light on that particular passage and uh, open up our hearts and minds to all that you desire for us, all that you desire for this area and the part that we're to play in it. So I commend this time now to you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So the, um, the passage today that I've been asked to speak on is, is Luke 9, 1 to 6, and Trace is going to, to read that um, in a moment. And the title is, Now Go! And it's all about Jesus sending out the twelve. And uh, we're actually going to do this uh, together because I'm going to share for about, um, about 20 minutes on the passage, just share some thoughts with you. And um, we're then going to um, uh, share an example, an illustration um, about a ministry that started 25 years ago that we're both involved in called Sat7. And um, it's, it's a huge testimony uh, about a man who heard God speak in, in a particular way to him, and he responded. And uh, we just want to share what is happening in that ministry, which reaches out to Christians in the Middle East and North Africa, and has its UK office in Chippenham. So it's, uh, it's, it's local in some ways, but international in other but isn't that what the kingdom of God and God's church is all about? So Trace is going to share um, some more about that seven in a moment. But first of all, um, we are uh, going to just read this passage, and I'm going to invite Tracy to, to do that. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and don't have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Great, thank you. Now, 
Now, in many ways, this, uh, this passage is uh, a precursor to the Great Commission that we read about in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So I just would like you to cast your mind back. Imagine that you're one of those um, disciples. You have been following Jesus around for uh, a number of months now. You've been seeing some amazing things happen. And then suddenly he turns around and says, right, you 12, I want you to go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So what would be going through your mind at that particular point? Do you have the confidence to do it? But as we go through Luke, we'll read that in the next chapter, he then turns around to 72 of his disciples and says exactly the same thing. And then, as I mentioned a few moments ago in Matthew 28, he actually says that same message, gives that same commission to not just his disciples, but to us as well. It's interesting how... However, when you actually look at this passage, it's six verses long. It doesn't talk about all the amazing things that happened, although it does touch upon that on the last verse. Most of it is about the instructions that Jesus gave. That's what Luke decided to focus on, and it's evidently that's what he felt um, the Lord wanted him to, to focus on. And a lot of what I'm going to share today is actually based on the first two verses because I feel that's the message for us. And that's all about the instructions that God gives us. Now, I'm going to step through these verses pretty quickly. Uh, There are six. There are seven days in the week. And what I would encourage you to do is actually, over this next week, just focus on each of these verses. And I'll chuck in a few things to think about. Just meditate on it and allow God's Spirit just to open it up and understand it a little bit more and also understand what our part is in it. So the first verse is, and the reason I told you that at the beginning is because we're going to spend quite a bit of time on these first two verses, and you're going to be looking at your clocks and thinking we're going to run out of time, or we're still going to be here at one o'clock, and that's not going to be the case. But the first verse, he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. So first of all, there was a call, and then he placed upon them power and authority. Now, we have had the call. The call is there in Matthew 28, when he tells his disciples to go into all the world and share the good news of the gospel. There's a number of us in the, um, in the congregation who've, uh, who are either still serving in the uh, armed forces or have served. And, and I used to be, I'm, I'm retired now, I used to be a, an army officer. And uh, I was trained at Sandhurst. And during that time, I swore my oath of allegiance to the Queen. And I then received her commission. And actually, it's a certificate that is signed by the Queen, and I've still got it at home which gives me authority to act on her behalf. I hold a commission provided by her. And that meant that when I stood before a bunch of soldiers, I had authority in them in the name of the Queen. So I wasn't acting under my own authority. I was acting under her authority. And there were others within the forces 
who uh, did as I beckoned because of the authority that I held. And it's important to understand this because before we act, we need to be aware of the authority that has been invested in us. And we need to use that with wisdom. And we need to use it appropriately. So, for example, I live in Halavington. Buckley Barracks is not far away. If I rocked up at the, uh, at the camp gates, I could turn to the guard there. It's all secure. You're not allowed in. But I could introduce myself and the authority that I have doesn't work quite so well now that I'm retired, but I still got my veteran's card. But before, I could turn up and say, you know, this is, this is who I am, this is my rank, and I've come here and I need to speak to the commanding officer. And the soldiers would probably be taken aback a bit. They'd look at my authority that I held, and they, would, they might ask me a few questions. If my authority is high enough as a senior officer, I can turn around and say it's just for the commanding officer. And they would then beckon me in to, uh, to, to go and see him. Now, if Mark turned up and tried to do the same, they'd probably throw him out because <laughs> he's just a civvy. But I held the authority of the Queen, of her commission. Now, when I get to see the commanding officer, he's evidently a busy man. He'll probably ask me what it is. And if I say, well, I just thought I'd call in and see how you're doing. I would probably get thrown out because I'm moving outside the authority that's been invested in me. As an officer amongst the, with um, uh, a troop of soldiers or a squadron or a regiment of soldiers, I gave them orders. But if I told them to wash my car, I don't have the authority to do that. That is an unlawful command. And they will be quite within their rights to turn around and say, sling your hook, sir. But if I'm acting within the authority that I've give, been given to take them onto operations, to put them in, in harm's way, I'm working within the authority that's been invested within me. And we need to understand that. Jesus gave the 12 authority over demons and to cure diseases. We have that same authority. But we need to use it with confidence we need to use it with wisdom, and we need to use it with integrity. So in this passage, we read about the authority that's been placed upon the disciples. Jesus then gives the instructions on what they're to do. And we read about that in verse 2. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now often when we're talking about healing, we think about um, physical healing, but I believe it goes beyond that. It is emotional healing. It's, uh, it is physical healing as well. Psychological healing. Healing of hurts, of traumas, of, of issues that we've faced in the past. But let me dwell upon the first point, because Jesus said, first of all, that they're to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. And Jesus keeps coming back to this point about the kingdom of God. What, what is the kingdom of God? We've got to understand that because he didn't say go out and heal everyone. He said go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. That was the first task. So why is that so important? Well, at this point, Mark is probably quaking in his boots at the back because it's a huge subject and one that we could actually do a whole series on. 
and we don't have time. So I'm going to give you a very short summary. What is a kingdom? Well, if we just give it a bit of thought, normally a kingdom has a king who's exercising power and authority and leadership. It normally has subjects there who live within a series of laws and commands. And often it'll have land or territory. Now the Jews of the time that um, were, were around when Jesus was walking on the earth were looking forward to a Messiah. They've read about him in the Old Testament. Someone who was going to come and bring in a new kingdom. They believed that he was going to release them from the oppression of the Romans and set up a new physical kingdom, just as the kingdoms of old, of David and the others that we read about in, in the Old Testament. But Jesus had a different idea. Jesus talked in, in uh, Luke about bringing in the kingdom. That kingdom has come, but we don't see it in the way in which the world sees it but it still ticks those categories that I mentioned a few moments ago. It has a king, Lord Jesus. He is the Messiah. There are laws and commands which we find in the Bible. So let's just unpack that a little bit more to understand it. If we look at um, Matthew 22 and uh, one of the Pharisees tried to... Uh, tried to catch Jesus out and asked him about various commands. And Jesus turns around in, in Matthew uh, 22 when the teacher says in verse 36, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the pro of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love others. Well, that's quite an unusual set of laws to run a kingdom on. But we need to understand that the foundation of God's kingdom is love. We read in 1 John 4 verse 8, God is love. Our heavenly father is the definition of love. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found this, this aspect really difficult to understand and fully embrace. We hear love as a word thrown around so loosely in our society. We have one word for it. In the Greek, there's, I believe there's five, in fact, different words. In the Bible, they concentrate on three different uh, names of, of love that cover different aspects from the, sort of the love relationship of parents, of friends, and of uh, a couple who have a physical relationship. But our God is a God of love. 
John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world so that through him they might have life. They might have the forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus came, because he loved us so much. He created us, Adam and Eve, to be in relationship with him. But they fell. Sin separated us from him. The Old uh, Testament laws of sacrifice were to, um, to deal with that sin so that we could still enter into that relationship. But there was still a separation because of the depth of, of our sin. But when Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, died on the cross... That was the ultimate sacrifice because he was without blemish. He was sinless. And in the temple, when he died, the curtain that separated the most holy of holies, where no one could go in apart from a, a priest, I believe it was once a year, and where everybody else worshipped, that curtain was torn in two. That curtain was twice the height of this room that we are in. There was an earthquake and it was torn in two and we read about that in the Gospels as a sign that that separation between the Holy of Holies and us was no longer there, was no longer needed because his son had died a horrific death on the cross for us. In John 17 verse uh, 23, we're in the Garden of um, Gethsemane. And I find this passage just blows, blows my mind. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And in verse 23, he says, he's been praying for his disciples at this point. He says, in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That you have loved them the same amount as you love me. God loves each of us the same amount as he loves his son. That is extraordinary. And if you think that is just one verse, just this passage in Ephesians 3, I, um, Tracy knows I often quote it, but I, I, I just think it is extraordinary. Paul is praying in, uh, for, is, is encouraging us to, to pray. In fact, no, he's praying for us. And he says in verse 17, Ephesians 3, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And why? That you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, for many years I, I read it, I sort of understood it. I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. But to really know it, to embrace that truth how much God loves us. And that now we can enter into that complete relationship with him. That was his passion 
and motivation for sending Jesus. That was the motivation of Jesus coming here. And that was the the good news that was being proclaimed. And that is the kingdom that we're invited to be part of. And the second part of this instruction was to heal. Because you see, that is the evidence that it has, this has come about. John the Baptist turned around to, um, to Jesus in, in Luke 7, and we, we dealt with this on a, a previous passage. In verse 22, he asked, he sent his disciples to Jesus. John the Baptist was in prison. He said, are you the Messiah? Are you really the one that we should be looking for? Jesus didn't answer them directly. He replied to the messengers and said, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now that list is very similar to the one that Mark read out at the beginning. In Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. In fact, it's a, bit, a little bit before he, he read out. But it's the same chapter. And that is the, um, what the Jews were looking for in the Messiah as the evidence that the Messiah had came. So we heal to demonstrate that what we're talking about is true. Now, I'm going to scoot very quickly through the next few verses. And I just want to throw some things out there that, for you to think about. You know, in verse 3, Jesus' instructions to disciples were that they were to take nothing. And it's good to ask yourself, why was that the case? We read elsewhere, he turns around to the disciples and says, Take a bag, take money, take a sword, look after yourselves. But here he didn't. And I would suggest it's because he didn't want them to be distracted. And he, didn't, he wanted them to be fully dependent on him. The more dependent we are on him, the more we're relying on him, the more he's able to move through us. And the challenge for us, I think, in our modern society, with our homes and our cars and our jobs and our pensions and our investments, is there's lots of things that preoccupy us. There's lots of things that can act as a security blanket. And our challenge is to look how we can be dependent uh, on him. In verse 4, he turns around and, and says, when you enter a house, stay there. And from there, don't depart. And, and it's, it's difficult to understand what, what um, he's driving at here. Why was this important? And I just wonder whether it's all about commitment. He didn't want the disciples sort of um, moving from house to house, but staying with the first that welcomed them. Not being lured to uh, a new brother or sister who comes in who has a bigger house. And therefore, they are after a bit more comfort. And the final verse, uh, sorry, the penultimate one, is about, um, um, about rejection. And um, he says that uh, if anyone, if you are rejected, you're to um, dust the sand off of your sandals and to, to move away from that village. And 
the disciples, even though Jesus was around, were rejected in certain places. And I think we need to realize that sometimes this message is rejected. But judgment sits with God, not with us. But it is important to remove the sand from your sandals, to remove all those memories of rejection so that they don't continue to to hang on um, in your life. Particularly if there are bad experiences, those experiences need to be um, left and completely removed so that you can focus on the next task. And finally in verse 6, they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now that's the only bits that we hear about. We don't have lots of detail there. But what I want to share, I'm going to, Trace is going to come up in, in, a, in a moment. I just want to share with you an illustration of a man who stepped out and did just this. And I, I know we've all got um, our own stories that we could tell on how God has moved when we have stepped out in these words of faith. And our own walk to, to come to know the Lord is probably um, uh, sprinkled with, with examples of how someone took a step of faith to tell us about the Lord. But um, this is the story of um, Terry Ascott, who Tracy and I uh, know. He was working with Operation Mobilization, which um, Tracy used to be part of out in the, in the Middle East. And he was out there actually at the same time that uh, we were out there in the, uh, in the 80s. And um, he, uh, he'd set up this magazine that was in uh, commercial establishments a Christian magazine that would share the good news of the gospel. But he, he was frustrated because he wanted it to go wider. And there's a lot of folk in the Middle East who, who are illiterate. And he was, he was troubled with this, uh, with this concept. And one day he was walking back to his flat in Cairo. And um, as he uh, approached the flat, he saw in the patch of land that had been prepared for a new building, all the materials for this new building, and there was a, a guy um, on this site. He was the, the night watchman to protect it. And this guy lived under a tarpaulin. But not just him, all of his family, his wife and children. And you know, that was the, the level of, of poverty that they were living, at, living in. They didn't even have walls on this, this place. But this tarpaulin had their bare essentials, but it also had a television. And that television was glowing in the corner and they'd plugged, they'd gotten the power from a local flat that someone had kindly uh, allowed them to plug into. And the family were just absorbed in this screen in the corner. And this is in the, uh, the early 90s. And it's suddenly, and this was the beginning of satellite TV uh, at the time. There's lots of talk about the impact that was going to have. And it suddenly occurred to him that if they could make Christian programs in the language of the locals and transmit them over satellite into these areas, they couldn't be censored and they would reach everybody and even the illiterate could understand the message. And that was the thought and he then stepped out. 25 years later, that Sat7 is being watched by 25 million people in the Middle East and North Africa. And during a recent survey, half of those surveyed in Saudi Arabia admitted to watching Sat7. 
Tracy. It's already in, introduced. Oh, Mike. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, how do we get involved in SAT7? Um, Richard is a trustee um, on the um, UK Board of Trustees for SAT7, and um, I'm an ambassador and, and speaker for them. Um, both voluntary positions, but we really, really are passionate about what they do. And because of our involvement in the past and living in the Middle East, I've lived over in the Middle East two or three times, um, started there as a child with my family, my parents in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. So sort of like the, the interest in the region and the people began as a child. And then I think as I became a Christian and, and was aware of um, so many Muslims um, and so many people that didn't have access to um, learning the truth about the Bible and Christianity, because some of it, some of what um, they, people in that region believe is not actually biblical. <laughs> Um, so anyway, to address this, SAT7 um, have just been sharing the truth and what it means to be a Christian uh, through their programs. Um, and they work very, very closely with all the churches and denominations within the Middle East, which is wonderful. It's like a, um, so you've got, you know, the Catholic Church and the Coptic Church and leaders of house churches kind of all, all um, working together and all being represented on Sat7 TV. They are never disrespectful to any other um, religion or, or people group, um, which is also wonderful. They just want to get the truth out there about what the Bible says and what we believe and encourage the Christians of the area. Right. I've been talking quite a bit. Um, so they, yes, let's watch the first video, please. This is an overview of what SAT7 is and what they do. The Middle East and North Africa, a region rich in culture, amazing people and natural beauty. It is also a place of turmoil, war, struggle and oppression. People are searching desperately for hope and change. Christianity originated here, and while 3% of the region remains Christian, the church is often persecuted and its existence is at risk. As millions look for meaning and truth, there is a great opportunity here to present the Christian message. But a lack of religious freedom, censorship, and widespread illiteracy has until recently made this almost impossible. In the early 90s, we recognized the huge potential of uncensored satellite television to reach people on a massive scale. Even the poorest, the most remote, and the illiterate. SAT7 was born. A Christian media network that now broadcasts across the Middle East and North Africa and is also available globally online. Our purpose is to share the Christian message and to support and empower the local church in its life, work and witness for Christ. We broadcast around the clock over multiple channels in Arabic, Turkish and Farsi, the language of Iran. 
Our programs include Christian dramas, movies and talk shows, inspirational teaching, documentaries and church services to encourage believers, many of whom are in isolated or hostile environments. Our kids' channel airs Christian animation, music and other fun character-building shows. It is widely recognized by Arab parents from all backgrounds as a safe place for their children. Sat7 Academy is our newest channel, dedicated to providing educational programs for the 6 million displaced and refugee children in the Arab world and some 15 million others who are currently not getting any proper schooling. We also make programs that promote health and address sensitive issues such as disability, race, and the rights of women. Our programming is positive, holistic, and making a difference. For Christians in this region, it can still be dangerous to appear on TV. Despite this, we have a committed team of over 200 local people who know our audiences well and ensure that our programming is relevant and culturally sensitive. We operate almost entirely on donations. For less than one pound per viewer per year, we bring hope to one of the world's most troubled regions. Almost half a billion people here have access to satellite TV. By overcoming the challenges of illiteracy, censorship and limited internet access, satellite TV remains the most effective way to reach people. Hundreds contact us every day sharing stories of how they've received hope through our programs. SAT7 is having an amazing impact on people and their communities. We broadcast over borders into millions of homes. Our vision is to see transformed lives and a growing church throughout the Middle East and North Africa. So I hope that makes you realise why we're passionate about what they do. There's so much of our news today that comes from that area is, um, is, is terrible, what the suffering that people are going through because of conflict in that region. The fact that 15 million children in the MENA that are of school age, that's the Middle East and North Africa, don't go to school 15 million and it's not because they don't want to go it's because they can't or it's not safe or they're in camps where there aren't schools so for that reason alone I think what SAT7 are doing is amazing um, but also they're they're linking Christians together um, you know, some people, they're, they're, they're too frightened to openly be a Christian. They might be the only one in their family. And if their family found out, they could be ostracized or, or worse. So Sat7 also is there. It's their church family. They can watch um, live worship because uh, church services are actually um, shown live as well. So it, it brings people together. It teaches people the truth. Um, they broadcast to 25 countries, reaching over 25 million people. And through its social media now, because they're now also producing video on demand, live streaming services, um, and they're represented on, on Facebook, Instagram and the rest. It means that the younger generation who actually don't watch terrestrial TV anymore, but have smartphones, they can be reached too. 
So it's, it's quite amazing. I'd like to, to end... Oh, no, there's a couple more facts. Sat7, 80% of their programmes are made by Middle Easterners in the Middle East. So it's, it's locals that are making these programmes. There are um, studios in Lebanon, in Egypt, in Cyprus, um, as well as one in, in the UK. That's the Sat7 Pass studio, which do the Iranian language broadcasts. It's just too dangerous to have that in Iran. Um, and many of those that work there have, um, will never be able to go back to Iran. They can't actually see, go back and visit the families that are still there because their faces have appeared on TV. But that's the sacrifice that they're making. They believe it's so important to get the gospel out there and to support those secret believers that um, are in places where it's difficult for them to be Christians. So, yes, on your um, seats or around you, you will find um, a prayer diary if you would love to get involved in, through prayer because many of us can't actually go and help or we don't have the technical or the language skills to help. But we, the church here, are part of the church there. And if we weren't here praying and giving our money and our time in prayer, then they couldn't do what they're doing. The church there would not be supported um, and the church is best placed there to be reaching out to their neighbours. Um, so we can play a part and it's just as important through our giving and through our praying. So there's a prayer diary there if you want to, get, um, to go through it in the next couple of months, uh, which I really love and find very useful. And there's also um, a, a watch and pray prayer um, guide request for Lent. So if you put your details on the back and come and leave the piece of paper with me, I'll get them to Chippenham and you will get your very own um, Lent prayer guide with little stories and testimonies about real people in the Middle East with their names changed, of course, um, for you to, to pray for and then to encourage you and inform your prayer. I would like to finish with a testimony of um, somebody from Afghanistan. We'll, we'll call him Shaheen. Um, and it's only a one and a half minutes. Please watch that. Let the spirit move you. And then if you want to come and drop this off with me, do. Um, I'll be out in the coffee area. And if you want to find out any more, come and speak to me or Richard. I live in one of the provinces in Afghanistan that is under the control of extremists. By watching your programs, I came to know about Christianity. This caused me to become conflicted and ask, what is the truth, Christianity or something else? I was tired and heartbroken by the lies and unrighteousness I see around me. But more importantly, I questioned why it is that people are denied freedom of thought and self-determination.
now I have a deep sense of peace and I feel so light. I feel so happy that I am on the verge of tears. I no longer fear being killed by anyone because I am certain of my salvation.